everyone and welcome to another fantastic interview of what's new in cloud FinOps. So as usual, there is me, Franck Contrepoix, my really good friend. Stephen Old, great to be here, Frank. There we go. And I'm and Eric Carlin from ProsperOps talking to us about ESR. So I think that's going to be a very interesting conversation. Let's great start. Great to be with you guys today. Thank you very much for joining us, Eric. Thank you. Um, I guess let's let's start at the beginning. Eric. Let's just tell us a little bit about you, about your background, how you got into this world. Sure. Before we get started, let me let me say that uh, I am um, radically jealous of uh, accents. Um, <laughs> so uh, the French and the British accent sounds so sophisticated. So hopefully, uh, participating here is going to rub off on me in terms of my sophistication and intelligence. So, uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't think what we, I don't think what we actually say will rub off on you to improve your sophistication and intelligence. I, I like what you say. <laughs> <laughs> no, I sent my Siri and my, my Google assistant to the, uh, to the British accent actually. So that's, that's my little way of trying to have mine's Aussie. I choose, I choose the Aussie accent. Don't know why. So, so what you're telling me, there is a business of creating uh, Alexa voices in with French accent, English French accent. Yeah, I think, I think that can cool. be a startup. Hmm? Uh, what was the original question? My oh, I, don't, I don't know. Have, have we finished the podcast? Um, no, the original question was just a little bit about you, your background and how yeah. you got into the Finopsy world. Yeah, yeah. So um, I spent uh, about 10 years at a company called Rackspace. Um, through kind of the um, early 2000s into the kind of the, the, the mid-teen years. Uh, and, you know, as public cloud sort of emerged, Rackspace was one of the uh, kind of early participants in that. And uh, Rackspace sought to create kind of the open cloud via uh, something called OpenStack. Uh, and OpenStack is still a very thriving open source project. It's generally focused on sort of hyperscale private clouds, but it never really emerged to be a um, sort of hyperscale public cloud solution. And so as part of that, uh, the strategy at Rackspace, um, at one point, as we saw that, you know, where OpenStack was headed, we sort of pivoted um, to really rather than compete with, you know, AWS, Azure, and Google to partner with them and to create uh, sort of managed cloud solutions. And uh, I was part of a a team that basically launched that business inside of Rackspace. Uh, and, you know, over several years of doing that, um, really got to work with hundreds and thousands of, of, of cloud customers uh, along that journey. And, uh, you know, that business now at Rackspace, I, as far as I know, the, the, I know at least the managed AWS business at Rackspace, I believe is the largest um, reseller business in the world. So it's gone on to do quite well, but through our experience there, um, we really saw two problems emerge uh, that customers really sought um, you know, help with. The first was around security, and the second was around just cloud cost optimization, which kind of became known as, as FinOps. And so that was an area that we spent, those two areas we spent a lot of time on. And specifically uh, on the FinOps one, you know, we were using at the time a lot of sort of what I will refer to as Gen 1 tooling, uh, whether it was cloud-native tooling or uh, third-party tooling, that really focused on creating cloud visibility um, and sort of cloud reporting, 
and we were combining that with a lot of human expertise and, and sort of trying to deliver outcomes for customers. And uh, through that experience, just became increasingly frustrated with the results and, and sort of the outcomes that were being achieved and just knew um, so much more could be done. We were seeing uh, just issues around, you know, latency. The cloud is so dynamic and changing, right? Um, if you have lag in tooling and you've got sort of lag with humans, right, that's that's fundamentally going to lead to sort of suboptimal outcomes when you're looking to optimize cost, et cetera. And so we just took a step back and said, how do we make this computer science problem? Is there a way to basically take you know, automation, AI, and um, apply that to the FinOps space uh, to where, you know, you can, you can make this in a computer science problem and just deliver, have software that delivers outcomes for customers, not just sort of reporting and visibility. And that was really kind of the genesis of, of ProsperOps uh, and what our company seeks to do for customers. So it's interesting there in, in your journey, um, obviously, myself and Frank have, have come from a uh, kind of partner side as well, and we've been in reselling and, and also in the kind of consultancy and the FinOps side of it. But we had um, we had Rob on recently talking about the education, the FinOps Foundation, that side. Yeah. And that was some of his background, the pains of being an early reseller. And I mean, the, the pain still exists now, right? Um, but it sounds like that's what's driven your journey as well. Like the tooling just wasn't good enough to do what you knew was possible. Yeah, and I wouldn't say it's necessary. We, we do serve um, both resellers as well as direct customers. And so uh, n- no question, we could probably do a whole separate podcast on sort of the pains of, of reselling, um, you know, public cloud and, and, and the challenges that exist there. But I think for us, it was really more, more of a fundamental shift to say, you know, if you think about personal investing as an example, you know, historically, you've had sort of two options. You can, you can have DIY where, you know, companies make great tools that give you all sorts of access to data and analytics and, and reporting. And the onus is on you as the investor to go make the, the decisions um, in terms of how you invest. You can hire a human financial advisor that you know has expertise and maybe some tooling, and they're going to effectively deliver an outcome for you. So those were traditionally your two choices, but what's emerged is kind of a third choice, which is known as is a robo advisor, which is we're going to take sort of investment strategies. We're going to use you know computers and algorithms to effectively automatically implement all of the day-to-day activities that are necessary to deliver a savings outcome um, for customers, right? And we so we saw robo advisors kind of emerging in the personal investing space. You see this happening in other areas too. Think about you know driving, right? Today we use Google Maps or whatever mapping software you use, which is a great tool that repi- that that provides reporting. And visibility, right? I want to get from point A to point B. What's the best way to get there? What's real-time traffic look like, et cetera? But ultimately, the onus is still on the human to operate the vehicle to get from point A to point B. And I think what we're going to see, you know, in the coming decade or whatever the time frame is, is the emergence of you know software that will not just provide reporting and visibility, but will actually do the work of delivering the outcome, which is getting the, the human from point A to point B. And so we saw software in different industries 
sort of moving towards not just delivering visibility, but delivering outcomes. And so that's really the, you know, whether it's a reseller or whether it's sort of just a direct customer, the, the, I, I think the, the genesis uh, and, and sort of the, you know, our, our focus is how do we take software and use it to deliver FinOps outcomes um, versus just kind of reporting and visibility. So, I mean, you talk about robo advisor stuff. The the key thing that any service solution like this needs is good data, though, right? And and the right kind of data. Um, so, when you got started, how did you attack the the data side of the problem? Yeah. So, you know, I think of uh, we have a slide. I call it the flux capacitor slide. If you've ever seen the movie Back to the Future, um, yeah. where, where there's basically three fundamental components. The first is kind of telemetry ingestion. And I think this is your question, sort of data, like how do you get access to the data? And so, um, but you've got to be able to ingest telemetry. The second aspect um, is around sort of all of the optimization algorithms, um, you kind of the brains that figure out effectively, once I ingest the data, you know, what am I supposed to do with the data? And then the third component of the system is what we call the execution engine, which is once you kind of figure out what to do, you need to submit it to an engine that's going to go effectively take action to to make, you know, the the optimization a reality uh, in the environment. And so those are kind of the three components. The the data piece um, is a critical piece, right? If you think about self driving cars, there's all sorts of lidar and 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 uh, telemetry that's being ingested. Uh, in order to sort of understand the surroundings, like and, and what the environment looks like, and once you have all of that data, you can then you know make decisions on it. So, you know, f- for us, um, you know, that's a that's a real critical piece. Um, and you know, there, there's various telemetry sources that we take, and it um, you know it varies across clouds, but it's effectively ingesting all of the the cost and usage data, both in kind of a lagging fashion as well as a real time fashion. And, you know, being able to kind of mush that all together to create sort of a picture of, you know, of what the cloud environment looks like. And it's, it's tough the, the you know, as the cloud gets more and more dynamic, um, you know, being able to create that, that, that picture, uh, you know, gets harder and harder. Absolutely. And I think uh, if someone listens to this and goes, oh, that sounds like a great idea, you know, automating my, my management of commitments, et cetera, to, to track my usage. And I think one of the things that the kind of the basics that people don't sometimes know is things like the cost and usage report in AWS is lagging. Like you say, it's not real time, not only in the fact that it's released up to three times a day, but even in what's released in each of those is not, or, you know, not complete data from the last segment of time. Um, yeah, that's exactly challenge. right. Yeah. Yeah. So we, um, yeah. you know, the cur it is one of the telemetry data sources that we ingest to your point it's lagging. So, um, you know, it's released generally on average to your point about three times a day, you know, towards the end of the month, it gets longer and there's uh, other situations where, where it lags even further, but then the data that's in the cur, even though it's lagging is also lagging because the cloud is a massive distributed system. And so yeah. like internally at AWS, all the service teams are mm-hmm. reporting their data into a centralized billing system globally. And, you know, internally they have SLAs for, you know, how much or how much data should lag in order to, you know, to to get into the billing system. But 
there are transient failures that actually cause, um, you know, data to, to not actually make it into the cur for whatever reason. And so you've got, you know, multiple layers of, of data lag where the cur itself is lagging. Um, the data in the cur then is lagging. And then sometimes you have data that didn't make it for whatever reason because of transient failures. And so all of this, um, you know, kind of creates a challenge where we have to uh, use the cur, but we, we have to recognize when the data is uh, seemingly incomplete. And we have to marry that data with other sort of telemetry that we're gathering to create a, a complete picture. So it's, you know, quite challenging, just, just that component of, of understanding, uh, you know, what the environment looks like. Yeah. That's good. And what, what do you think about, so because part of all of everything that we are doing in this FinOps environment is all related to also to, to the complexity of that pricing model. Do you think one solution to all those things might be just to, to make it much simpler, the pricing instead of so complicated? You know, I, <laughs> I think practically we're, we're well past that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there are other solutions, uh, you know, like DigitalOcean that, you know, their sort of differentiating aspect is a simpler model. I think, you know, the, with, with power comes complexity. You know, th this is just sort of a, a, a common trade-off that exists in technology in general. And, um, you know, as the cloud providers have created very, very powerful um, solutions with, with lots of different, uh, you know, knobs and meters, et cetera, um, you know, this has just naturally led to, um, you know, a complex pricing model. And so, um, you know, th there's been abstractions created like, um, you know, I mentioned DigitalOcean is, is not an abstraction, but Amazon created LightSail as an example, which is kind of a VPS overlay on top of, Uh, you know, their cloud to sort of simplify. I, I do think um, we're kind of stuck with, if you will, the very complex um, pricing model of cloud. I do think there are ways to create simplifying abstractions on top. And this actually might be a great, great segue into effective savings rate because, um, you know, one of the things that we realized when we started the company is that, you know, you know, our mission is to effectively, you know, automate the, uh, the saving of money in the cloud. And so the first question we needed to answer is, well, how do you measure whether or not you're doing a good job and, and forget even automating for a moment. Let's just say, you know, a company is is making use of you know reserved instances and savings plans um, in AWS how well of a job you know how good of a job is, is that uh, you know is that team doing sort of creating a savings outcome and uh, the traditional metrics that are utilized to sort of understand and, and measure effectiveness are uh, metrics like coverage, and utilization. And so if you think about, um, just to explain those two metrics, just to make sure everyone understands them, we kind of think about the cloud, we describe it as almost two separate universes. You've got the engineering universe, which would be resources in the cloud that are fundamentally engineering constructs, right? EC2 instances, um, you know, Fargate, 
um, containers, Lambda functions, S3 objects, you know, RDS instances, whatever they are, these are engineering resources. And then you have this kind of parallel universe, which are, which we call the financial universe, which are sort of financial universe constructs, things like a reserved instance or a savings plan. And so if you think about coverage and utilization, each of those is a metric to measure kind of independently one of those two universes. So the coverage metric says um, of all of the resources that you ran in the engineering universe, what percent of them is covered with a financial universe instrument such that it's generating a discount? And the utilization metric is the corresponding financial universe metric, which says of all of the financial universe resources that have been deployed, how much of them are actually utilized creating a discount? And anything that's not covered in the engineering universe is not discounted, right? You're paying the traditional kind of uh, on-demand rates. And any financial universe resources that are unutilized you're actually, you've, you've purchased a resource and you've made a commitment for which you're not generating a discount in the engineering universe. And so you've got these two resources, or I'm sorry, these two metrics that kind of measure the universes independently. And they're certainly helpful. They're, 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 we call them sort of input metrics. Uh, yeah. But the reality is at the end of the day, customers are using these instruments to save money. And so the question you want to know is, well, how am I doing on kind of the, the savings uh, outcome that I'm trying to produce. What is my savings rate? What is my, my savings outcome? And there are scenarios, for example, where you can have a hundred percent coverage. In other words, if I, let, let's say I overcommit, I buy more savings plans than I need. Well, your coverage is going to be a hundred percent, but you're going to be overcommitted, meaning you're paying the cloud provider for commitments for which you're not using. You're just sending money to Seattle for no reason. And conversely, you can ha be, have 100% utilization um, if you just cover a very small amount of, of, of engineering universe um, resources, but your, co your coverage is very low. And so there, there are many cases um, where you can have 100% coverage and 100% utilization, but still be drastically suboptimized. And yeah. so um, you know, we, we started looking at this and realizing there really actually isn't a overall sort of cloud agnostic metric to measure how well you're doing with these resources. And it's almost like if you, you know, we, we mentioned kind of personal investing earlier, if you were investing your money and you didn't really have a good way of knowing what return you were getting on your money. And if you hired a financial advisor and they said, well, we've got 10% of your money allocated in this asset class and 20% allocated here. Uh, you know, it kind of helps explain a little bit about how your money is invested, but it doesn't actually answer the fundamental question that you care about, which is how much did I make? How much did I save? And that, that's really the goal of effective savings rate is to fundamentally answer that question. Yeah. I think the, the two metrics you, you describe, I see is more, and I guess this is some of my background, right, where I get sent in to, to solve where there's problems. I, I see them almost as diagnosis tools. You know, why am I why am I not being efficient? Well, let me look at these two metrics. Well, you're not efficient because you've overpurchased commitments, or actually it's because you've 
you've done very little. I think where where effective saving rate comes in is it also gives you an extra level of depth into being able to also look at whether the right type of instrument is being used because there is a whole other step about whether you've bought enough instruments to cover or whether you've over oversubscribed. But actually, you know, you could also choose a, a bad job for the tool, but because your both of those metrics look okay, you think, oh, I'm doing okay because I'm not wasting a load and I'm um, I've got a high level of coverage. That doesn't mean you're you're still being that efficient. That's right. So we we um, we talk about the three legs of the ESR stool. So um, there's three components that that kind of are part of what um, produces an effective savings rate. Two of those legs are the two input metrics we talked about, utilization and coverage. The third leg is um, the what we call the, the discount rate or the, the blended discount, which is uh, of, of all of the different types of instruments that have been deployed. Um, you know, there are, we were talking about complexity earlier, you know, th- there's millions of SKUs alone uh, in AWS around all the different types of discount instruments um, that can be deployed. And so of all of those choices that have been made, um, what type of blended discount is being produced? And so the maximum effective savings rate is achieved when your coverage is as close to 100% as possible, when your utilization is close to 100% as possible, and also when your blended discount is as high uh, as possible. And so those three things contribute to effective savings rate. And when you think about... You know, um, I think about other areas in business like, like, um, like, uh, um, the, the net promoter score. Are you guys familiar with the net promoter score? Yeah, absolutely. Nine tens positive, seven eights yeah. neutral, anything below. Zero. <clears throat> so you can think of all sorts of ways to measure sort of customer satisfaction, but the, the, the power of net promoter score is that it was kind of a single KPI that you could measure that gave you a sense of, you know, how well your, your, your customer satisfaction is. And there's all sorts of components and, and other metrics you can, you can look at. But the, to, to me, the power of NPR was the fact that it was the single KPI. And that's really how I think about effective savings rate. You've got all these other metrics that you can optimize for. They're not unimportant, but um, if you think about an optimization problem, it's very difficult to optimize for multiple things at the same time, because you may make a change that might have a, have a positive effect on one of your KPIs, but a negative effect on your other KPI. And so the question is, when you're trying to optimize, which one, how, how do you know whether that particular potential change that you're going to make is going to have a net positive outcome if you've got multiple metrics and the change is having a negative effect on one and a positive effect on the other? And so it, it's very difficult to optimize when you have multiple things at the same time that you're looking at. The beauty of effective savings rate is that it's a single KPI. It takes into account, you know, the other input metrics, and it's a single KPI um, that you can optimize for um, that will always result in the the highest savings outcome. So, so we always like to say ESR never lies. Um, it's an ungameable metric. And 
um, you know, this was important for us because as we're building software to really optimize for an outcome, um, you know, what do we optimize for? And, and so part of creating ESR was to say, you know, to, to the industry, you know, in, in, to the cloud kind of market in general, this is a very valuable, you know, whether or not you, you are a ProsperOps customer, whether or not you, you know, buy into sort of, you know, automated FinOps, this is just a valuable metric in general that everybody should understand, everybody should measure, everybody should sort of optimize for. Uh, but there's a secondary benefit, which is if you are going to, you know, automate and try to produce, um, you know, the best world-class outcomes that you can produce, um, you have one thing that you can basically seek to optimize that will always result in sort of the, the most savings back uh, to the company. And so that, that's why it's, it's such a powerful metric. I strongly agree that it's, it's such an important metric and, and should be universal, I think. That's one of the great things about it, like we've talked about before. It works on a cloud. It's a, a methodology and kind of a concept that I think you can, you can apply in, in a good amount of places as, as we see people become more and more obsessed with, um, with multi-cloud. Um, obviously, it's, it's harder in the, in the hybrid world. But um, obviously, people already have their – sorry, Frank. I was just going to say, people already have their maybe their tools of choice. Um, and, you know, I, I use one uh, currently in my organization, and I'm reviewing others. How easy is it to make sure my ESR is visible if I'm already using a tool that isn't, you know, yours? Yep. Great question. So I, I think a, 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 a fundamental question we haven't sort of addressed yet is what is ESR? Like, how do you calculate it? And it's actually extremely simple in concept. The complexity comes in gathering the data. We were talking earlier about all the telemetry, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. to measure that. So in concept, effective savings rate is very simple. It, it says, what did you actually save? How much did you save as the um, nominator over what would you have spent if you had no commit discount instruments deployed at all? So in other words, if the financial universe didn't exist in cloud and you just ran everything and paid on-demand rates, um, that's what you would have spent. That's kind of your list price, if you will. Now, yeah. clouds, all three clouds offer these financial universes and they offer the ability yeah. to sort of rate optimize and given your your use, your effectiveness of using this financial universe, you've created some savings amount. What is that savings amount over how much um, you know would you have spent if everything was on demand? So if you uh, if if on demand everything was a hundred dollars um, and you ended up saving twenty dollars, then your effective savings rate is twenty percent. Um, and so, you know, in concept that that's basically the, the formula, it's very sort of simple. Um, again, the challenge is, uh, getting access to all of that data. So of all the stuff that you ran, right, you get your bill from the providers and, and all of this stuff is kind of mushed together and blended together. You have to unwind all of that to say, what is the on-demand equivalent of, all of my usage, if I didn't have any financial universe resources at all, what would I have spent? So you have to 
be able to calculate that. And then um, secondly, how much did I save um, in, uh, which is an easier thing to, uh, to get at, but still it, it can be um, somewhat non-trivial. And from that, you can calculate uh, effective savings rate. So um, the good news is, getting back to your, uh, your question, Steve, you've got, um, uh, you know, Prosperops is, is measuring this. If you're not a Prosperops customer, there's a couple of things. One is we're starting to see the industry um, more, more broadly become aware of and adopt effective savings rates. So, um, you know, for example, Cloud Health, which is a very popular, um, you know, kind of reporting and visibility tool, um, has uh, embraced effective savings rate. They have blogs on basically how to, how to use their tooling uh, to calculate effective savings rates. Um, uh, we're seeing the FinOps Foundation, which you meant is, uh, mentioned as well, also begin to uh, embrace this as sort of a KPI that um, all um, you know, companies should sort of understand uh, and measure. So you're gonna, I, I think you're going to see more sort of information come out from uh, the FinOps Foundation, which is kind of this you know, n- neutral organization that's just promoting uh, FinOps best practices. Uh, something else that we make available uh, is a website called EffectiveSavingsRate.com. It's sort of a, a neutral microsite. It's very basic today, but the goal of that site is simply to educate about effective savings rate, what it is, why it's important, some of the, the limitations of other methodologies. There's a series of blogs that are linked to um, on that site if, if folks want to get educated. There's also a public Google Sheet that we make available um, that enables customers uh, to calculate their own effective savings rate. Today, we only um, have published the information to do it on AWS, um, but there's a series of um, AWS CLI commands uh, that can be executed. We provide all of the commands. You take the outputs, you drop them into the Google Sheet, and then it um, it produces uh, your effective savings rate. So there's a number of uh, approaches today um, that uh, customers can use. If you know, my, my goal here is just to promote uh, effective savings rate on this, not necessarily promote Prosper Ops. <laughs> but if you uh, you know, our, our company also does offer a free savings analysis where we measure your effective savings rate. So if you just kind of want the simple button, you don't want to do, have to do any work, um, you could you know, come sign up for a free savings analysis where we will, we will uh, measure and, and produce a report for you in terms of what your effective savings rate is. So all of these are options today that are kind of available. And I think over the coming um, you know, months, you're just going to see you know, more and more uh, ways for um, you know, ESR to be, to be measured in, in uh, you know, whatever tooling you're using. I think it's it's just worth noting to the listeners one of the reasons we've got Eric on, apart from that we we think he's he's great at explaining complex things, is the fact that how much prospects have given back to the community in terms of the stuff that's on ESR.com. It's well worth a look. A lot of the hard work has been done for you, um, so you can start running with it very quickly. Yeah, I will say too, we're very open. Our our goal is to we we think this is a useful metric whether or not you know people are ever a Prosperops customer. We, we would love to see ESR just be embraced. Um, and, you know, for, for, you know, the industry at large to sort of take advantage of it because we think it's useful. And, um, you know, the, the more people that know ESR, the, the better 
you can have a sense of how well uh, your company is doing and and sort of what the art of the possible is. I think, you know, our mission as a company is to help all businesses prosper, and that's through you know serving our customers, but also in general, kind of kind of giving back to the the FinOps community. And I think ESR is is one of those ways. Um, right now, we're focused on ESR as it pertains to AWS, but you you had mentioned this earlier. There's nothing cloud specific at all about effective savings rate, right? It's it's the savings generated over what you would have spent. And so it's a completely cloud agnostic metric. And so it is um, as applicable to, um, you know, Google and Azure as it is to AWS. And so, you know, kind of in the same way that you might open source, uh, you know, software and have contributions from, you know, other people to, to help uh, take it and expand it in very positive ways, you know, we would love to see ESR flourish. And, you know, if that um, includes involvement from other people, uh, you know, that are ahead of where we are, uh, you know, as, as, a, as Prosper Ops sort of, you know, ro- rolling out our solutions to other clouds, you know, we're very, very open to that and would love to see that. So, you know, if there are other, if there's, I'd love to see a Google Sheet um, to start that calculates ESR for Azure and for, for Google. I'd love to see little open source scripts, et cetera, that, that can automate that and help, help customers uh, be able to sort of understand it and, and get access to that data um, on, on other platforms. And so we're, we're very open to uh, sort of participation. And again, would love to just sort of ES, see ESR, you know, become a, um, a valuable metric that just benefits the community at large. Thank you. That was superb. But now next is my next question is about so how is ESR help, you're saying so ESR is, is helping evolve increase the maturity of cloud FinOps in general, and so how is that evolving into what we can call the next generation of FinOps? What you I think you were calling on on our discussion before FinOps two. Yeah, it's a great question. Let me. Uh... I have two thoughts. The first is um, the beautiful thing about having a metric like, you know, we talked about net promoter score or effective savings rate is that you now have a single KPI that you can look at to kind of assess your, how well you're doing. And, um, you know, a, a lot of times today, companies just don't know, like, like this is actually a big part of the FinOps Foundation is, you know, how do, how am I doing today and what does good look like? Right. And oftentimes you don't know how you're doing and you don't know what good looks like. And so you need to have one, you need to have a metric to be able to quantify how well you're doing. And secondly, you kind of need benchmarks to understand like, what is the art of the possible? And so the beautiful thing about effective savings rate is one, um, it gives you that way to quantify. The beautiful thing about the FinOps space is that it's incredibly quantifiable, right? We're dealing with oftentimes just finance and math and numbers. And so unlike other areas where it's it's more subjective to sort of assess how well you're doing, um, in the FinOps space, it's very quantifiable. And so ESR is a great, great metric to kind of assess where you're at and how you're doing. But then also... Um, it's a great way to know the art of the possible. And so one of the other things we're going to be making available is um, sort of benchmarking data 
around effective savings rates. So, so we know, for example, we, we have thousands of data points today. And, um, you know, we know, for example, that if you can achieve an effective savings rate of greater than 40% on AWS, um, that you are in the, the 98th percentile of, you know, all optimizers. And so, you know, as an example, that's a great way. If, if you go to effectivesavingsrate.com, measure your effective savings rate, you can kind of know where you're at one, but then kind of know, um, you know, what the art of the possible is. And um, that sort of varies a little bit based on, um, you know, discount rates and what's possible based on your environment. But if you want to know, you know, what is achievable, um, you know, effective savings rate is really useful um, sort of in that regard. Uh, the other really cool piece of effective savings rate as well is that it, it can be scoped in very interesting ways. And so, um, you know, there's different parts of, of cloud, right? There's, there's the compute aspect of it. And so you can scope ESR to say, just for compute, what did I save over what would I have spent? Just for my database uh, deployment, what did I save over what did I spend? Um, for my Azure, you know, what did I save over what would I have spent? And so you can measure ESR kind of in these individual areas, just like in a financial portfolio, you might measure, you know, what was my ROI on my brokerage account versus my retirement account versus whatever other account you have. And then let me just smush it all together and say, in general, you know, what did I save? And I, I think this will help customer customers in general be able to kind of crawl, walk, run when it comes to their efforts on individual clouds. I also think what will emerge is metrics that allow us to say, you know, on AWS in general, you know, the, 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 the 50th percentile effective savings rate is this on Azure, the 50th percentile effective savings rate is Y. And it's going to start to give us really interesting sort of cross cloud quantification of, um, you know, how, how powerful the instruments are that the various clouds make available, as well as kind of the, you know, how well people are, are uh, using these, these instruments. So I, I think as we, as we talk about, um, you know, going forward, what that looks like, you know, I think benchmarking um, and, you know, really um, having a sense of, of, of how, you know, what the art of the possible is, um, is really going to be a key piece of the future. Uh I think in general too, second thought on your, on, on your question, Frank is, is, you know, I think about cloud cost optimization, you know, 1.0, if we can call it that was really about visibility and reporting, right? You know, the, we were talking about this explosion of complexity, right? People weren't worse, weren't used to utility billing and all these different meters and all this complexity, um, you know, in terms of, you know, consuming um, just resources like technical resources, right? It was it was very simple kind of billing model. Uh, previously, flat m monthly fees, etc. And you know, cloud sort of un uh, shattered that and created all of this complexity. And so, 1.0 was really about getting a handle on that complexity and and on that sort of basic sort of visibility into how much am I spending and where did that spend go? And why is my spend, you know, higher in this area than it was sort of last month, right? I think yeah, as totally. this area continues to evolve into what we kind of think of as, as mm -hmm. cloud cost optimization 
you get into you know moving beyond just reporting and visibility to deeper sort of complexity and understanding of what's going on. So one example, uh, which is you know kind of like the Nirvana, the FinOps Nirvana right now, is kind of understanding unit cost. So you know if I have a particular widget that I'm producing using the cloud. Um, and I have feature A, feature B, feature C, you know, taking all of that cost and sort of figuring out per unit of, of sales of that thing, you know, how much is cloud costing me, right? That, that's a very, um, you know, higher level uh, FinOps activity that's extremely useful, you know, in producing, uh, understanding your cogs and sort of, you know, margin, et cetera, for, for companies yeah. that, are, that are using the cloud. So that's one area. I think that's that's kind of as we go forward in in 2.0 that's going to be a big piece of it. I think the second area is what we've talked about as well, which is I think software will move from delivering reporting and visibility to delivering outcomes and solutions and that you know there's so much complexity in finops, there's so much to do um if you know these finops practitioners, you know Many of them are just so capable. Um, their, their time is just spread so thin. And so how do you basically hand off certain aspects of that FinOps puzzle to software and just let the software sort of deliver outcomes so that that you know more focus can be given to sort of these other areas? And so I think that's another aspect of sort of cloud cost optimization 2.0 is this idea of... of software that delivers sort of outcomes versus reporting. And so I think as we move forward, um, you know, higher level um, metrics like Unicost, automation um, metrics like ESR, you know, I think this is what we're going to see in kind of the next wave of, of FinOps. Yeah, I think initially it was just making order of the chaos, right? FinOps 1.0, and it is now improving. There's enough of a community. There's enough people with expertise. Um, and in one of our in our next episodes, we're going to get a friend of ours on to talk about unit economics. I think it would be really interesting to to get you back on to talk about you know cloud cost optimization 2.0 when we've dug into unit economics a bit more and, and that side of things and just how by getting better, deeper metrics and a better understanding and also getting to that point of a bit more automation as well, because I think that's a big part of it, right, is actually automating away the, the things that actually are better for computers and for ops. You know, there's, there's plenty of things that are, are better for algorithms and people. Um, and just using your time uh, efficiently will be really useful for our listeners. So, Eric, I'm just conscious of time. Thank you so much for sharing with us today. It's been absolutely brilliant. Um, I hope you are happy to come back and talk to us about uh, cloud cost optimization 2.0 in the near future. Yeah, I'd love to. Absolutely. Fantastic. Um, and then I guess it's just a, a goodbye from myself and from Frank. Yes. Bye. Thank you very <laughs> much, Eric. That was brilliant. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. Great being on. All right. Thank you. And goodbye. Cheers. Cheers.